Hi friends. Welcome back to the showing up podcast. I'm your host. Some people know me as big mountain skier, Lindsay Dyer. I'll let you know when I have a more appropriate title here. It's my intention to encourage you to follow your weird, do the thing, even if you suck at it and fully show up for this one wild and precious life that isn't always so easy to show up for. I had this fire inside me that I just wanted to be just like the pros. Like that was my dream to snowboard somehow. I never knew it would be a, like a full on career, but I just wanted to snowboard as much as I could and, and do all the tricks that I was seeing in the movies. This podcast is a very special conversation with my dear friend, Leanne Pelosi, the snowboarder and filmmaker. Our interview takes place in January at the Revelstoke Send It event. We talk about her life and career, how she grew up in Canada and was a star soccer player until she was fired from the team for breach of contract after they found out she was snowboarding on the side and hurt in a car accident. We talk about the golden age of women's snowboarding films in the early 2000s and how she learned to be a film producer on the job. I ask her about the struggles she's faced as a female filmmaker in a male-dominated sport, and she'll talk about having her filmer taken off set without her consent to go film the guy athletes. We'll also bring up the rise of the Instagram influencer and how they're taking sponsorship opportunities from highly respected athletes without really earning it or contributing to the sport, in her opinion. As a female filmmaker in a male-dominated industry, Leanne is such an inspiration to me because she really is everything. She's an athlete who genuinely loves snowboarding to her core and a producer willing to do what it takes to keep creating opportunities for herself and her female peers. Leanne is really something to look up to. I hope you enjoy the show. Dropping in. Dropping in in Revelstoke. Revelstoke. Yeah, yeah. So, who are you? Where are we? Uh, <laughs> I'm Leanne Pelosi. I'm a professional snowboarder, and we're here sitting in a hotel room in Revelstoke, right at the base of the resort. We're here for Send It, which is a kind of a tech event collaboration, kind of just, I don't... We're still learning, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last year was it's a really, pilot... Uh, yeah, it's inspiring. Yeah, uh, it's bringing a lot of a lot of really inspiring humans together. Some are friends already, and some are not. Uh, there's 150 um, guests, and uh, it's really neat. Uh, some of the brightest minds, but also just a lot of people looking to have fun on the on the mountain. And we get to help host the mountains to these people that some people get to ski a lot. Some people this is their like one of one ski trip a year. Yeah. Would you agree? Like, does that... Yeah, I would agree, and it's really fun just to connect on the chairlifts, and here and there, in between all the the big rush of going down the mountain, and, I mean, I, I don't... I know Revelstoke, like, well enough, but not confidently enough to take a crew on my own and be like, all right, here we go, I'll probably get us lost. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's such a sick mountain, mm-hmm. and really, I mean, it doesn't matter if you get lost on this mountain, I feel like it's... It'll bring you back into where you need to be. But yeah. last year, uh, Lexi DuPont was here, and I joined her crew, and um, she was ripping, and so we just kind of, like, 
did a bunch of fun laps really fast. You skiers are so fast. <laughs> <laughs> you don't ski with skiers much? Uh, I have more, uh, uh, <laughs> more lately, recently. Huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just got back from Japan with Lexi. But, um, yeah, you guys are really a lot faster than snowboarding. So. <laughs> it's a different vibe for sure, but you guys have brought so much to our sport. Thank goodness. <laughs> it is faster. It is. It can be. I don't know. Is it more intense now that, or is it just like, the? how many skiers do you really know? Like, really know? Um... I know a solid crew of skiers in Whistler. Yeah. So what I've been connecting with over the last like five years ish. So would you say snowboarders and skiers are different or or not? Like the crew that you know, the people you know. Oh, I feel like we're off the hill we're all friends and and on the hill we love to poke fun at each other and our <laughs> differences and our quirks and definitely being a snowboarder on a touring setup is so much slower so yeah I will take all the flack because I know I'm slow and I think it's funny <laughs> what other what other things to like but they can't slash they you guys no can't we slash. can't slash oh and you guys one powder turn is so sick I'm like I, maybe just on powder days I'll be a snowboarder but then I'm like no but it's so fun on skis <laughs> yeah well I wonder why there's a little trend going on with uh the pow surfing oh yeah movement and yeah. skiers it's so it's core. Pretty, it's pretty if you don't have bindings, you're so much more core than with bindings. Well, it just <laughs> makes the easiest slope seem so much more exactly. difficult. No, it's and so challenging. True. It's so true, and it is challenging. Man, I've eaten shit hard. So, so what have you been up to this year? Like, I want to go back into the story, but um, um, just everything that's brought us together. You're so much more than an athlete. You've been on the scene for a long time and you've made your own way and you've made the way for other girls too on the production side and um, as an entrepreneur I know you you've gotten into like buying and flipping houses is that true like there's you guys like are so entrepreneurial in so many ways I want to talk about it all okay well I grew up in Calgary and I loved snowboarding um with all the guys and my brother. But and you were going to be a pro soccer player, too. That was, yeah, my original dream was to become a pro soccer player. <laughs> I Calgary. played university soccer at UFC. Did you get a scholarship there? Yeah, I had a scholarship and played for the junior national team. That's so rad. Um, what position? I was center mid, kind of all over midfield. So you're fast. You like to No, the, more the strategy, kind of setting up plays. So did you grow but, up, um, like playing soccer as early as you can remember? Were you kind of, like, born into playing Yeah, that? I mean, I think I asked my parents to join a soccer league when my uh, friends at school were in, I don't know, maybe grade four, something like that, a while back. So you asked them, they didn't put you into it? No, my parents didn't put me into it. And then uh, they, they did put me into it, and then soon enough I played on three soccer teams and university team and provincial team and all the teams. <laughs> so was it was that really competitive or was it pretty easy for you? Like what did you like about soccer? Um I loved the camaraderie between the team, having a team of girls that Me has too. your back. I miss it so much. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved the the strategy playing like getting linking up passes to score a goal. I just loved how it all came together and I loved playing with my team year after year because I feel like we just 
kind of knew each other, what was going on in each other's minds before we even would make a move. That was rad. So, group flow. Yeah, it was awesome. And then, yeah, I really wanted to become a professional soccer player. That was definitely it. Mia Hamm was yeah. uh, one of my big inspirations. Mm-hmm. I used to follow the U.S. soccer team because oh, they were just mm-hmm. the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I, I feel like I finished my last year of university soccer. And then um, I actually got cut from the junior national team and ended up getting into this big car accident on the highway on the way home from snowboarding and shattered my humerus. And then, like, shortly after, I got a note in the mail saying, like, you have breached your contract. You're not supposed to focus on one more than one sport. And so then, like, cut. Were you devastated or were you kind of looking for a way out? Oh, that was my dream crushed. Oh, so, like, that was your identity. That was everything. I was like, world. what? <laughs> um, so then I was, I was, I just finished a biomechanics degree at UFC in kinesiology, and I was kind of on the mechanical engineering program as well. I was going to finish two degrees, but a bunch of my friends had moved to Whistler and I was like, mm, I think I need to take a break and just go have fun so in Whistler for one season. So you super ambitious. That's amazing. Like well, I degrees? just had a dream. I just wanted to, that's all I thought about was playing soccer. And two sleep. degrees. Like, not everyone does things like that. Though. Well, no, I feel like when you grow up in Calgary, in an oil city, like, dad's an engineer. He's like, Leanne, like, you're going to make good money if you become an engineer. Mm. I didn't really think about what I was actually enrolling in. And I remember just being in a computer science course and looking around and trying to make a program. And my program was a snowboarder going off a jump. And flipping around. <laughs> and I just looked around and I'm like, okay, everybody around here love, loves doing what they want to do. And I just wanted to escape to the mountains and be outside. And I just hated being in front of a computer. So I kind of, after uh, one of my really good friends moved to Whistler, I kind of followed suit right away just for a season. So how old were you? Uh, this is oh, 20. One and why snowboarding and not like skiing? Because isn't uh, that how a lot of people get introduced to the mountains? Yeah, I I definitely skied when I was younger, okay. when I was really young, and but just seemed like all the cool kids were snowboarding in in my school, and mm-hmm. I wanted to hang out with all the guys like mm-hmm. a grade above me that had cars that were driving to the hill on the, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the weeknights. So, um, can we talk about that? Did you did um, did sports or or like were sports ever a way to learn more about boys or were you ever following somebody that was cute you know what I mean where I feel like we never talk about that stuff as athletes like oh it's all about my sport but like oh definitely right (laughs) well I guess for me I like I, I really I said I would play baseball to um and I, I, I would never admit it, but I was fascinated with learning about these creatures called boys. And that was like, that was like a little league, you know what I mean? I never spoke to them. Well, I think, literally sat I think on the what sport brings is community. Yeah. And I just wanted to be part of this crew mm. that was cool. cool. And then like these guys, like, yeah, all the girls had crushes. And I'm like, look, if I can go snowboarding with these guys, I want to just be friends with them and... That, to me, was the most important. So, yeah, I'll grab a snowboard. My brother and I shared a snowboard um, in the very beginning. And, yeah, we would just go out to 
wintergreen. And so you didn't you didn't have crushes on them. You just wanted to be friends with them. I feel like I definitely had some crushes on them, but the friends always would, prevailed. The, the, <laughs> yeah, I think that was more important. Or uh-huh. I feel like that was gonna. Uh, I don't know, maybe make uh, the chance of actually snowboarding with them all the time a lot longer of a... a yeah, I guess. Good eyes. A relationship. Yeah. 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 Did you ever feel like, um, as an athlete, did you ever get overlooked by by guys in that way for, like, you know, the aesthetic? Like, the, the girl that you see on TV versus... Or maybe you... Could you relate with the girls you saw on TV or... Or at the, school. Or, or people that were popular or, or popular whether... You know, who, who did you relate to as a young girl, um, especially in media? Um, I just yearned to find um, media about women athletes. And it was hard to find. And I, I used to scour snowboard magazines um, back in the day to just find an example uh, yeah an example of someone that could do it and I knew there were professional snowboarders out there I mean I used to read snowboard magazines before I even was a snowboarder oh when I was how'd you find them how'd you come up they used to have big world cups in Calgary and I'd make my parents drive me to the world cup just so I could watch Mike Michael Chuck (laughs) um do Michael Chucks back in the day before before you could even snowboard yeah wow I just thought it was so cool it was just this fringe sport in the 90s. So. And there, there wasn't anybody, like, influencing you or, like, telling you it was Well, cool. all the, I mean, all the kids in my school were wearing, like, Chip and Pepper, West Beach, all these wow. brands, big baggy clothes, and that was all from skateboarding and snowboarding. Right. And so the whole culture, I was just attracted to that and the, and the community around it, and so... Yeah, I put a huge West Beach sticker on the back of my car and <laughs> got really into it before I even could really do a turn. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so so um, you just moved to Whistler then. Tell us about moving, like... To um, Whistler at yeah. 21. Like, that's like living the dream, right? Yeah, I was living the dream, what, kind of. I, <laughs> I rented... I mean, it was... One of my friends had another friend. I rented a room the same room as um, my friend and she had a bed and then I had <laughs> like a couch like one room like yeah one room and then it was just like a couch that the legs folded like the yeah like lazy boy okay and so <laughs> that was my bed it was so uncomfortable oh my god um, but I just wanted to to do anything it took to get to Whistler I and it. I keep it. it cheap I was at this point, I had had a little bit of a settlement from my car accident, so I got a job at Earl's, and... Like everyone does. <laughs> yeah. Girls for the girls, what is it? Hostess. What is it saying, <laughs> And I, I used to come to uh, work with black eyes, mm-hmm. and they were like, oh, you know, you can have a day off, Leanne. I'm like, great, perfect, more snowboarding <laughs> time for me. Isn't that funny? <laughs> How many black eye stories do we have? Wow. We should talk yeah. about black eye stories. No one ever talks about that. <laughs> I had my black eyes, like, reconstructed, like, with manual help. Like, my friend put me back together so many times from oh, hitting no. my knee on my face. Yeah. From hitting stuff. And... Yeah, but luckily I never broke my orbital, and a lot of my friends had that. Did you guys... Oh, no, I never broke, but it always felt like it was, like, <laughs> uh 
a badge of honor to get a black eye and like hang out with everybody like I just I just went for it and I sent it and this is what I got I'm so badass <laughs> totally I know what you mean it felt so good everybody wants to take a selfie when they get a good black eye <laughs> but you were never afraid to send it like what um what do you feel like lit that fire because not not all girls they might like the culture they might like the clothes but like when it comes to like checking out the cliff like what made you send it oh I had this fire inside me that I just wanted to be just like the pros like that was my dream to snowboard somehow I never knew it would be a like a full-on career but I just wanted to snowboard as much as I could and and do all the tricks that I was seeing in the movies. And, and, and those were all con... Originally, it was, like, contests, right? Like, you had to do contests to get recognized. Like, how, will you explain, like, how it kind of works in that industry? Like, how? Um, yeah, it seemed like at the time when I w- just moved to Whistler that... Uh, well, there were snowboard magazines and there were movies, but mm-hmm. there was only, like, one or two women in these movies, and it was Tara Dakitas and Jana Mayan. And then there was a big contest scene with the X Games going on, I was pretty big, mm-hmm. so I would watch the X Games and then kind of just, like, follow along and and kind of realize that contest, the contest route was the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And, and then, like, myself and my roommates would film each other in the Whistler Park, and actually that's how I got my first sponsorship was from K2, and it, um, there was a website called snowboard.com. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge community, and I had put this little sponsor me tape on snowboard.com, and then... You could upload it yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had my own little profile, and then I got a message from Corey Grove and Bobby Meeks, and Bobby Meeks was a huge pro on K2 at the time, and he was like, oh, do you want to ride for K2? And I was like, this has got to be a fake account, like, there's no way it would be the actual pro Bobby Meeks hitting me up. Right. And... And so, sure enough, I got this, I got a box sent to me with two snowboards in the mail and a contract with a little travel budget. And at this point, I had gotten this in the spring, summertime, and I had already... How old were you? It was the first year after I moved to Whistler. But... So, like, 23, did you uh, say? No, I was, like, I think 21 or 22. Amazing. I forget which year. So you had, you never got a real job. You just went straight into. My real job was, um, Earls. Earls. Right. Right. Hostessing. (laughs) And and landscaping. (laughs) Gotcha. Did you do that like over the summer? I actually loved landscaping because it was a nice meditation. I would just think about snowboarding. (laughs) And and And, like growing up in high school or college, like when was that? Uh, like what jobs? Oh, what jobs? Um, I would coach soccer in the summers. Okay. And then I was car- a carded athlete with Canada, so I was mean? actually getting paid while I was going to university. Oh, that's so um, rad. You're and such my a university badass. Was you were getting paid as an athlete, like, so young. Yeah, and so I... Multiple sports. When I was younger and I was getting paid, I mean, I was living at my parents' house, so I ended up investing my money um, into, like, stocks when I was like 18 amazing so who who like inspired that like how did you how are you so smart so I didn't really know what I was doing I just was like I need to what am I gonna do with this money my parents were like well you should probably save it for one day when you get a house (laughs) and so um 
I think I just signed up for like a mutual fund or something and amazing put it all in there and I said yeah I'll I'll do the aggressive one whatever that is I'll take oh, some risks you, you were risk taking yeah <laughs> did it work I think so I, I mean <laughs> like I still haven't like touched that that awesome. goes in in Canada we have a RSP it's like your retirement savings so that's what you put it into yeah amazing yeah wow that's that's but, impressive so nice. Yeah, I was very lucky to get that at that moment in time. And I remember getting like a free cell phone from the whole soccer program as well. So I didn't have too much debt after university, which helped a lot being in Whistler because Whistler at that time I thought was expensive, but it's nowhere near as expensive as it is now. Right. Yeah. So like you could live in a house with five people and make it on like $600 a month. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember it coming up once maybe for Camp of Champions or something, and um, I don't mean, let's see if, if this is, like, right on the time trajectory, but there was a whole bunch of people living in a house, uh, and I remember the first, like, snowboard, female snowboard movie being made. I don't know if it was the first. Um, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot. Uh, back in the day. So why were there so many back in the day, and then why did it, it seem like they stopped I think it all just depends on, like, it's usually, Support, these projects right? are are kind of created by the women in the industry that want it to make it happen, so if there's somebody with that motivation and they make it happen, it happens, and I was definitely lucky to have a couple friends that made women's movies before I did. Um, yeah, so let's talk Lauren, about that. You got your first contract. Yeah, and then and, oh, yeah, then and I blew my knee. Actually, oh. I blew my knee, and I got this contract, and I was like, "I'm not gonna tell them that I blew my knee, because then for sure I'm getting cut yeah. before I even sign this thing." Well, and let's talk about that. It, often in <laughs> contracts, what people might not know is that um, often they will say they will put a uh, like a, a thirty day clause in yeah, there that says injured. if you're injured, you you're in breach of contract. So basically, you're an independent contractor. They're not helping you out with any any um, medical support, and if you get hurt, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very brutal. Yeah, it it can be challenging. So I definitely I just had surgery, and I was like, okay, I could probably be okay by the time like I had surgery in April. I was like, I probably okay by the time they bring me to this first contest. I think it was the Vans Triple Crown. And um, Kevin English was my team manager, and Kim Bonzak was a big pro snowboarder, um, his wife. And I got to the event, and I still hadn't told them, and I still hadn't hit a jump. And I was like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. this is so nerve-wracking. I just got to get right back into it. Cause, like, but I was so scared to hit I'm a jump sure. after coming back from How uh, many months was that? So from uh, April till when? May, June, July, August, September, October. It was eight months. It was okay. a decent amount of time. It's like barely enough. <laughs> but like, I mean, I felt like my knee was fine. And how did you get hurt in the first place? How did you blow it in the first place? Oh, I um, I went to this ski resort east of Vancouver called Hemlock Mountain. Sure. And there was, it was like a Capita Jason Brown photo shoot with the skids. And I had a friend that was like, let's go to this shoot. And I was like, okay. Uh, just a bunch of my guy friends living in Whistler, we went there, and there was this hip. So basically they're, they're shooting anyone at that time? Uh, I don't, like I don't remember what it, I think they were just shooting anybody, and it was just a small group of people, and I was the girl that got invited, and 
I went and I was like, oh, I'll hit that. And I hit this hip and it had a super flat landing. I didn't even know what flat was. Mm. And I landed sideways and mm. heard a huge pop. And I was like, oh my God, I blew my knee. And everybody's like, no, you didn't. I'm mm. like, okay, I didn't. <laughs> Probably not. Like I just convinced, I was convinced by them that it was okay. Yeah. But it felt super wobbly. and oh, no. And so... I stayed the night at the resort, and the next morning my knee was a watermelon, and I was like, oh, oh I gotta go. And so then my other friend, he also stepped off a snowmobile while we were there, and he blew his knee too, so there's two. Oh my <laughs> we were just like two peas in a pod with like injured knees. Oh, and shortly after, yeah, I, w- I went to um, the doctor, and he's like, oh yeah, this is just your ACL, like, it's fine. Dr. McConkie fixed my knee like a few months later so tell us about how it works in Canada because it's different than in the states right like you guys get health insurance so yeah so you for you go to the doctor um and they're like okay well there's an eight month wait for this and I'm like no please no like I'm an athlete I'm an aspiring snowboarder I just I really need this, even though, like, it wasn't like it was my job at that point. Right, you couldn't I was just yet. like, I'm an athlete, please, can you do anything? Like, so they were like, okay, like, if there's any cancellations, we'll put you up to the front of the line or whatever. And Yeah, so just to clarify real quick, oh, you have to get in line. It's not like, in the I, U.S., you don't, you could schedule your appointment, and you're paying privately for the most part. You probably have some insurance, and for you guys... It's uh, it's paid for by the state, and so you have to get in line for all the people that need it. Is that yeah? Correct? It's basically like um, worst case scenario goes first. Gotcha. And like I mean, if you're dying, you've got like you go to the hospital. Obviously, they're gonna see to that person first, and then mm-hmm. everybody gets shifted back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like generally, there's like several month wait for surgery. You I think right now you can get private. Mm-hmm. Um, surgeries and things like it was just more more cost then you just pay Mm -hmm. out of pocket so how long did you have to wait um I didn't wait too long like maybe a month or two okay and I was like this is perfect timing because it was springtime and I had all summer to Mm -hmm. go back to university to see if I was gonna finish my oh you were going back to school in the summer I went back to engineering okay and (laughs) and then I was like hmm I just got this contract. I think I'm going to go that way, back wow. to Whistler. So you never finished school, or you did? I, f- I finished a Bachelor of Science in Biomechanics, but I did not finish my mechanical engineering. Oh, uh, fair enough. Your second degree you didn't finish. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You got lots of degrees in other ways. <laughs> no. um, okay, so can we talk a little bit, too, about, like, getting invited? Like, how did you first get invited on these shoots? And, like... Did you ever find that um, you got invited for, yeah, variety of reasons? Some, like, maybe, because I was talking to um, a girl today, and and people, like, kind of want to make, um, want people to tell the sexist stories, right? Like, like um, sexist being, like, how are you, so I'm about to give this talk on gender barriers, and, and people want to talk about, like, how have you been... Um, you know, held back by gender. And I want to, I definitely have stories where it absolutely was. Um, However, I also have stories where maybe I was given, I was invited for like just simple reasons, like um, 
somebody had a crush on me. Does that make sense? Yeah. How um, many, like, can I you share some feel, stories? I've definitely, yeah, I've definitely felt gender barriers throughout my career, for sure. Like, so many. Yeah. Um, Especially the more seriously, I felt like you take yourself, then you start to really run into that. So yeah. I, yeah, I want to get into that. But um, at the very beginning, when I moved to Whistler, yeah. I think I was just snowboarding as hard as I could every day it was impossible to not see this girl just trying all these tricks and Everyone's eating like shit mm-hmm. and so I was getting a lot of um like help and recognition from my peers and so I was getting so they saw you were serious about it yeah um cool and like I remember Kevin Sansalone ended up giving me a pair of dragon goggles and he's like you're killing it like here's some goggles and I see if I can get you sponsored. And I was just like, whoa, that is sick. Um, so I had a lot of help from a lot of the guys Mm -hmm. that were current, that were pro at the time. And I was really grateful for that because I don't know, there is no recipe of how to become a pro snowboarder or pro skier. It's a lot of parents ask me, how does my kid do this? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just immersed myself into the biggest town, shred town in Canada was Whistler. I was like, I got to go there. I got to, like, be amongst be it, amongst ride, ride, mm-hmm. yeah, ride mm-hmm. Black Home Park. I was doing stupid things and being naive by doing, like, rodeos to face and <laughs> just trying all sorts of <laughs> funny tricks. But. Yeah. You know, I just find, so I have a nonprofit, and, and we find that so many women get introduced to the outdoors through men, right? And often it's their boyfriend. Um, and so I'm always wondering, like, how, what advice we give to girls so that you, it's not, it doesn't have to be your dad or your brother or your boyfriend that takes you out into the, out and shows you around. You know, there's got to be other ways, so. Yeah, well, there's definitely, I think now more than ever that we have the internet and all the groups and the Facebook groups I find that like it's pretty easy to find people to tag along whether it's male or female like for example um, Whistler has an amazing I'm sure Jackson Hole does too but an amazing Facebook group and they've got a touring group and you can just and people are like yeah I'm gonna go here what's the beta blah 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 and and there's a lot of um there's a big community that is open to joining forces and going and joining oh, the awesome. outdoors together. So, yeah, I'm pretty inspired by seeing those kinds of groups. And um, so they exist. So communities yeah, out there, if you just look and show up. For sure. Okay, so back it's, to the story. It's easier than you think. <laughs> I'm like trying to talk fast because we only have 29 more minutes. <laughs> um, so. Okay, so you just came back to your first contest after blowing out your knee, and you haven't oh, hit yeah. a jump yet. What's yep. that like? Um, and I ended up confiding into Kim Bonsack, and I was just like, okay, I have a secret. I got knee surgery in the summer. I feel super unconfident right now. Like, I need some help. And she was like, oh, girl, why didn't you tell us earlier? And who was she? She was a pro snowboarder that I looked up to. But wasn't she And she also... was also um, together with my team manager. Okay. So right away, she turns around and is like, Kevin, Leanne blew her knee and she's coming back from surgery and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> she kind of just like broke the ice and he was like, oh, he's like, Leanne, you could have told us that. I'm like, I was, I know, I just didn't want to like mess up this whole, my first sponsorship mm-hmm. and 
and they were super welcoming and they were like okay you're gonna follow us off these jumps these little ones and so this is your team manager oh yeah this is so rad they were so awesome so they helped me build my confidence back up and um yeah I ended up competing in that contest I don't remember what happened but uh, that was the start of K2 bringing me to and like getting me into contests. That yeah, so how far any. did all that tell us about that life, that contest life? And because there was a time when like snowboarders were just like like rock stars. Oh, yeah, and I, I feel like I was, um, those were the good times. Yeah, for ta- sure. Share what those, those, there was a lot of contests, a lot of support. Um, like how much it, were people making? Like, oh, I think those were the early two thousands. I came into pro snowboarding in two thousand five, right before the the big uh, economy collapsed. Uh huh. So just before you, people were like making like like how much? I don't even know. I, I just I don't know. I just remember seeing all the pros driving Audis in their video parts. Yeah. <laughs> Like JV Walker and like fronting all this like glamour and yeah just and being so funny by giant brands oh, yeah Nike, Nike got into and... snowboarding and uh, Forum was really big back in the day with their snowboard movies and and like every commercial was like do the do it's like <laughs> yeah. a snowboarder <laughs> you know what I mean and I think that added to the whole like draw and pull of snowboarding like it mm-hmm. seemed like it was so much fun and. And that's really what it was. It was a bunch of snowboard bums partying their faces mm-hmm. off and kind of competing as well a little bit. Mm. It's gotten way more serious since those early yeah, 2000s. way more structured. And, huh? But, yeah, I, I definitely rolled into the whole contest scene where it was encouraged that you're partying till the night before a contest and you show up at a big air and you're doing it, but you're kind of hungover <laughs> and, like, definitely not feeling the greatest. Wow. But still somehow pulling it off. <laughs> I don't know how I did it, but yeah, I had a nickname and it was Party Pelosi because Really? You sent it. I definitely You sent just, it in the, at night and during the day. I was just influenced by all my surroundings and and being brought to these amazing contests where there's parties and then you're competing and yeah, it feels like the rock star life because then you take off to the next contest and then, oh, and then Transworld calls and you're like on a photo shoot with like all of your heroes and right. it's just like nonstop. Yeah, I felt like I went from zero to hero uh, at that time because I think I ended up winning rookie of the year for Transworld and then the next year I got rider of the year. And, wow. And then at that point is when I started getting contracts from sponsors. Like, which ones? Like, ones uh, that we would, might recognize or, like... K, yeah, K2, um, Bonfire. Bonfire was a really big outerwear brand. Yeah, I remember. Um, Is it still around? Dragon, Dekine. Um, I don't know. I think it's still around, but it's owned by different people. So, like, you, you got Rider of the Year, Rookie of the Year, and then Rider of the Year back-to-back. Then what? Like, how do you outdo yourself for, like... Like, was, were those part of your goals? And then, you I, know, how did you make bigger goals? or what Well, I, I was on the full contest scene for rails. I was okay. a jibber. Okay. My brother definitely taught me how to ride rails before it was even, like, a popular thing on the contest scene. So by the time the contest rolled out with these rail jams, I was like, oh, I love rails. Awesome. Like, I want to get into the all these contests. And so I think 
um, I ended up winning almost every rail contest I ever entered. And that was my strength. And then slopestyle came around and wasn't as strong of a jumper, but... Would you say that, um, you know, partially... I mean, how was the competition at that time? Do you feel like it was... How much of all of this, and I, I speak to myself too, is like luck and timing and as well as like making your own luck? Like what percentage would you say? Um, I think it was lucky that I had already like really gotten into handrails um, before. Like I was just strictly passionate about riding rails. And, and at that time it was like you count how many stairs. Mm-hmm on the rail mm-hmm. and I remember seeing Jana and Tara hit like a I don't know 28 or 30 stair and I went out and found a 34 stair mm-hmm. and I was like I'm gonna go boards like that Love and it. I'm doing what the pros are doing gotcha. like I was just so obsessed beyond mm-hmm. obsessed with with snowboarding so, so you only compared yourself I, to the girls you didn't you didn't well compare. uh yeah I mean I was inspired by the guys, but really what lit the fire under my ass was seeing these other women doing it because that was. gave me the full reflection that I could do it. Right. And that's always been the story with me. I was always inspired by other women. Yeah. Um, and that's that's why it's so important for, for the media to showcase women in all these sports um, because that little girl needs somebody, some tangible sort of inspiration. Proof. Yeah. 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 And that's extremely important. Do you want to just jump to that? Like how, well, I I think we'll get there. But um, so obviously you have like, I won't say transition, but you've like added this production aspect. How, how did you get from contest girl, like probably like everybody's doll in some ways to producing your own stuff? Um... How did I get there? I I was always influenced by the movies, first and foremost. I, I feel like I competed um, to as a, re- a roundabout way to get into filming. Okay. I always wanted to. I didn't love competing. I had fun competing, but what I really loved was seeing the creative process of filming, and mm. you could just hit anything and, and make it a shot. And, mm-hmm. and it just seemed like... It was just this whole world where there were no limits. And that's what attracted me more than being in the kind of like a square box of contest scene. So um, there was, I mean, I was doing, I was filming a little bit on the side of doing the contest scene. And there was Mischief Films by Fabia Grubler. Yeah, Fabia is the house that I stopped by and she was making that first I don't know if that was the first, but... No, definitely wasn't the first, but um, they they had the torch passed on to them, and they took the reins, and yeah, definitely snowboarding was at a a high in the industry, and there was a lot of support for women at that time, so I feel like that was maybe 2005 or 6 that they made Mischief Films. Amber Stackhouse and mm-hmm. Fabia mm-hmm. took the helm and made this awesome two years worth of videos. Yeah. But we all know, well, you and I both know it's a lot of work and you get burnt out. And mm-hmm. I feel like after they did such a great job and it was so awesome and 
It was very. It was, it was the really start. thankless work for them. It I was had the, a long talk with Fabia at that time, and she, like you said, she was really burnt out. She felt. Um, oh, she worked nonstop for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. She was such a workaholic, and I'm so grateful for that opportunity because they. I mean, we weren't <laughs> that amazing at snowboarding at that time in the backcountry. Now that I look at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. We have to start somewhere. Yeah. And they created that platform for us to get our feet wet in the backcountry. So was and that your first filming experience in it for a film or what? It was my first real like backcountry experience. Lauren Graham before that had made a film as well around Whistler. And it was called Shot in the Dark. Amazing. And she's gone on to become super fantastic filmmaker in Hollywood. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, what, I, where's Fabia now? So, so let's talk about, since we're talking about her, let's talk about her background. She wasn't, she was a snowboarder, but she wasn't trying to be pro. Like, what made her... Oh, yeah, Fabia, I think, worked at Transworld. She was also really into the whole scene and the culture and, and had a lot of great skills to bring to the table. And one of them is organization and being a boss at fundraising. Mm -hmm. And so she put this... And she was beautiful and she was, was she Norwegian? Uh, she's Swiss. <clears throat> Swiss, yeah. And she, yeah, she was just a boss. She just, like, demanded. Yeah, she was like, such a boss. Like, respect. Yes. It was really cool. And she owned this big, beautiful house, and all these snowboarder bums lived there, and she had to, like, partially play mom. She know? organized. And, like, hold it down for a lot of people. Yeah, she organized a lot for us, and then she went on to work for Camp of Champions and, and killed it yeah. with summer camp there, too. And she's still doing production work which is pretty cool um yay fabia you don't have to be a pro to like have a huge impact on this sport you definitely <laughs> don't need to be pro there's so many opportunities um that exist creatively around being an athlete yeah especially for longevity so that you don't get burned out <laughs> yeah totally and it's all really fun filmmaking yeah. is really fun and and so yeah after they got burnt out i was like who's gonna carry the torch like is it gonna be me I will do it if nobody else is gonna do it and I looked at Jeff my boyfriend and I was like do you want to help me in mm -hmm. making some movies and he's like okay <laughs> and so mm -hmm. for the next two years uh, Jeff and I co-produced Runway Films that's when Runway Films was born okay and we did two films after that for the women's snowboard industry I guess wow yeah so uh what was that? What 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 was it like initially to film with all girls? It was fun. They were just all my friends. I just felt like I was. This is what I would do anyways. Okay, so you were you were already riding with other girls. Yep. Okay. Yeah, like in your well, crew I, or I like started off riding or? with all the guys. Right. I felt like at home in Whistler, I was one of the only girls out there. Kind right. Of like so how did sending you it and then, start to find a girl crew? Well, after I went to all the contests. Oh, okay. There was this huge community of like world class snowboarders that I got to tap into and and become friends with. So and how? So, go ahead. Oh, so then everybody just kind of, I mean, we were all influenced by all the snowboard movies. And when Fabian and Amber were like, "We're gonna make something," we were like, "Sweet!" Mm -hmm. And so we all kind of banded together and made it. And we traveled the world and went to Europe and. Utah and British Columbia and we made this film 
That's fun. So how did you deal with all the personalities, especially in like, in something that was like built originally in having to compete against each other? Oh, it's loose. I mean, there's (laughs) definitely like arguments here and there and this and that, but that's like the joy of trying to figure it out and, and like knowing your, your space and your role and trying to keep it even keel and, um, I always tried to just keep it pretty mellow and navigate around drama. There's drama, but there was also like so many good moments. If we could all like band together and and not be competitive with each other. Well, I know uh, that's but, a dream, but like, what were some of like? Give us an example of some of the drama. Um, like okay, this is like going back so long ago. Um, I mean, there's drama between the filmers and the writers Mm. of filmers. I mean, it's just petty stuff, like filmers not being in the spot that the writer wants them to be and them kind of getting mad at each other and, you know, just like hastiness towards each other. Mm -hmm. And like, you got to learn that you have to treat everybody with respect because it's such a small industry and... (laughs) You don't want to like. It's there's no point in having arguments with people and and grudges and holding those and stuff. It just doesn't work out. So yeah. It's better to figure out how to work with someone, even if you don't like them. Um, you know, just kind of try and keep it professional. And that's how I, I think you can get a lot further. I don't know. Yeah, I just figured you must have had had with. How many films have you produced now? Three. Three. Wow. Full Moon was two years, and then, <clears throat> and then, well, four years at worth, I guess. So, um, yeah, Full Moon was two years, and then See What I See and La La Land were each one year. Amazing. So, how did you first go about fundraising um, when you had never been in that position before? Or had you always had to try to fundraise for your career like, um, to make that kind of transition? I literally <clears throat> made a teaser. I. I organized our crew to do some filming in the park and I I showed up at the trade show, the snow sports trade show and with a DVD and a computer and I went around all the booths and said hey we want to make a movie do you think you can support it? Like We're looking for sponsors. Transworld's going to partner with us. We're going to get all this awesome content like you guys should sponsor us like you're our sponsors so what year is this like that first? uh like 2006 so at that point in time business was great in america mm. yeah all the sponsors were like sure let's right. do this you guys go we're so stoked to help you and support that's awesome and for those two seasons that we made movies it was it was definitely smooth sailing we just do you mind me asking, like, what budget did you have to make a film that time? Um, I can't exactly remember how much money we had, but it was probably around a hundred grand. That's so. So rad. it was For a like women, all women's project. Yeah. That's so rad. I think don't don't quote me, but I, I it was around. It was a huge amount of money yeah. for me at that time, and I was like, look, we've got all the resources in the world. We can hire whoever we want and get all the music rights in that and and I think the biggest challenge it challenge with me being at the helm was having no experience figuring out how to right make sure that we don't spend all the money before it's done and so 
uh, ended up figuring that out and How? it all worked out. I just tried to do equations on a, uh, on spreadsheets and cuz you didn't have a business background like No, and I I think like definitely I would surround myself with people who had way more experience than me. Like I remember um, Kevin Sansloan and the Skids, they were making movies back in the day, so I'm pretty sure I would get some good advice from those guys. I was de- I definitely well, any time I don't know anything, I'll just look to a mentor or somebody who inspires me and I'll ask them. I was definitely getting some advice from yeah. sponsors and things, so So was that like were contests kind of going downhill when you decided to kind of take the reins there or were you still, you know, just as heavy in those and, and that needing that to be a part of it all? I was trying to balance everything between competing and doing the whole film thing. But at that point in time you could do it all. Mm-hmm. Um there was there was definitely the opportunity to film and I mean right now like people only focus on yeah, training. It's like you have to Yeah, do you have to spend every thing. single minute <clears throat> of your entire year to dedicate towards progressing the sport. And at that time it was more of a party vibe. People weren't really focusing on just increasing progression as fast. Maybe they were, but like I mean I feel like they were, but it just the way things would come together, you could film and compete and it wasn't a big deal. I think it, that would be almost impossible to do at this moment in time. Like I don't really know many athletes that film and then also are at the top of the podium. No, no, it's kind of like the thing. It's like you do the contest and then you try to film. Uh, would you agree? Like Yeah. I mean, I mean, and I'm just thinking snowboard because it's so different in the ski world. Yeah. So, um, okay, so where are we on the storyline here? Um, so tell me about the, how did that first movie do? And uh, like, what, what did you learn from those? And then, like you said, uh, you had a lot of support as a woman. Do you have any, um, any examples of like sexism, like in the reverse where? Um, well, after filming, um, after producing my own movies, I decided maybe this is a time for me to, I, I, like Jeff basically was pretty over the workload and he was running his own snowboard company at the same time. He's like, look, I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, okay. So we kind of put runway films on hold and we're like, I'm like, okay, time for me to jump on somebody else's crew mm-hmm. who's doing all that work. Cause it's a lot of work. Oh my gosh. I know. And yeah. so do you want to talk about just what, what it actually means? Like just some examples of, cause we always see the films, but we don't see what's behind them. I mean, it starts off with fundraising and going to sponsors and having, um, pitch decks and a lot of emails, just a lot of connections and seeing if the riders are on board and, once you got your idea, then you sell it to the brands. And then hopefully the brands are down to support. And then, um, you know, you make the, the partnerships with the magazines and, and your outlets and, and whatnot. And then you hire a talented crew of creatives to join you and help get this thing off the ground. And then you basically, for, I guess, the most important thing to know if you don't know the snowboard industry or the ski industry is generally you'll spend the entire winter finding the snow, finding the goods, figuring it out all year for a two minute clip. Mm-hmm. And a two minute clip is your best footage of the year. 
and it's just hours upon hours condensed into only the best and, highlights and that kind season. of and then we edit that into a film 30 to 45 minutes long and so yeah it's you're pretty much on call then on mother nature's call wherever mm-hmm. it's good that's where you're gonna go yeah so it kind of cut you off but the question originally was like so when did your gender actually like um you know you find negativity from that do you hear what I'm saying I think the first time that I felt negativity towards my gender was when I decided that I was going to go film with the boys I never had an issue before in the park as kind of an up-and-comer doing the whole sponsor me video and and things but so it's like easy to get in at least to be welcomed within a friend circle yeah but then as soon as I I joined this crew of professionals it was a whole different world that I was not used to I thought you know I kind of assumed that I was going to have equal space for filming but I would wait around Whistler for a month for the sun to show up and then okay we've got this window of sun and I got this phone call and I was like well we're taking your filmer we got to put them all on the guys I'm like you can't do that like uh-huh. my sponsors just supported what do you so mean we're taking money. your filmer who like uh, the producer or director of the film said to me we're gonna take your filmer and bring him to our crew and film just what like, the guys are the doing. guys you're gonna sit out this this round because we need to focus on our main man okay yeah and I was like but I thought I was a part of this just like he was like what the heck Mm -hmm. and that was a big blow I was like okay this is how this works this is not fair because as far as support goes my sponsors put in and they expect you know a video part or something so then that's when I felt a lot of pressure and um, I just was in disbelief that this is even happening and so um, I didn't have the greatest season with this film company and I didn't see many opportunities beyond this and so I continued to film with them another season Mm -hmm. and there just wasn't any other opportunity yeah there wasn't that many opportunities and I was like well if this is it I guess I've just got to figure it out and work with these guys Mm -hmm. and they just wouldn't give me the, the time of day and I lost a lot of confidence and probably went into a little bit of a depression because I felt like I was on such a high in the first few years of my career mm-hmm. and then just to get basically like kicked in the face and like we don't care we don't want you here we'll take your sponsor's money but, wow. but that doesn't mean that you get just uh, equal representation or opportunity to even show what you can do yeah mm-hmm. so things like that and then and at that point I was like okay well you know what, I had a great time. I don't mind working for it. And if I'm going to do something, I need to just own it and do it myself. And so that's kind of been my mantra throughout my career is if I want to do something, I'm just going to do it. Stop waiting for the the invite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then that kind of led to um, the making of Full Moon. I realized that, you know, we weren't getting that many, like we as as the seven girls in our film that were all backcountry based um we weren't getting like the backcountry snowboarding women 
weren't getting that much play in the industry and the media at all. And I was like, okay, if we all, we all went to dinner this one night and I was like, if we all joined together and joined forces, it would be so amazing for us to have a big impact on snowboarding and, and like showcase backcountry women's snowboarding, like how it deserves to be shown. Do you just want to give a shout out to your seven? So that people know who they oh, are. Oh, the amazing women that were in Full Moon. Uh, so it was Jamie Anderson, Marie France, um, Annie Boulanger, Robin Van Gin, Hannah Beeman, Helen Scatini, um, Elena Height, and then there was some other legendary pros that from archival footage that were also involved. Tara Dakitas. It was basically a story about how we're all connected at an arm's reach. And you really all worked on it together, and and you could you could get through arguments together, or like it's really hard. Like it's hard to film. It's hard to travel together. Like it's so cool to hear that you could keep a group that diverse. Well, yeah, the feminine energy is a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not gonna lie, for sure. We definitely all had our moments, but I think when you get older, you get a little bit more self-aware, and so we would just. You know, there was certain people that worked better together, and I just kind of focused on figuring that out for everybody. I was that mediator that was like, okay, these girls love filming with each other. They're going to go here, and they'll have a filmer, and it'll be great. And so we kind of worked our season where, like, occasionally we would all come together and film. Um, but when we all come together and film, it was a little bit like too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. You can't put seven women in a crew and go out into the backcountry. Right. Really, the best scenario is when you have two or three athletes mm-hmm. max in a crew. And then you were just paying a male cinematographer? Yeah, we had some incredibly talented cinematographers. And, had, and they would work with you over the guys, all the different guys' groups. Oh, yeah, we had awesome, like, Ethan and Merrick. So cool. He owns Dendrite Studios, which is amazing. They, sure. made, they made Kai Peterson's movie. Yeah. Um, he filmed with us. And then. And he never like treated you differently or put you down because you're women. No, it was so great. great to hear. He was so <laughs> great. Different stories. <laughs> he was so great to work with. That's awesome. Yeah. It's very, very cool. Um, yeah. So we don't have too much more time, but I, I want to ask, um, you I know, don't... how have things shifted now? Um, and with with this whole rise of social media and influencers like how have you seen the industry shift um well that's a loaded question (laughs) i don't want to well i guess yes it is because this is oh because we're influencers too or because what yeah well i guess technically we are influencers i guess but we have i mean I don't know. What should we talk about here? I well, just what I said. Like, how have you seen the industry shift? Like, okay, I think I because of the rise of Instagram, specifically that app, that has um, propelled this other whole game with sponsorships and brands paying money to these people that have got huge followings. Um, that may ne- not necessarily be. Um, interested in the sport aspect maybe more lifestyle based Mm -hmm. modeling um and yeah these brands are doling out dollar bills to these influencers to rep their gear do you feel like it's um it's affected like support for athletes in snowboarding 
like I, real athletes or like is there a gray zone or do people even know the difference um um i think i think if you're a core athlete you know the difference right like somebody posing constantly in front of their camera and just shooting lifestyles in front of mountains and being like yeah you know i'm this it'd be like it it would be like if i just started posting that i was a surfer and me in front of pipeline like look I'm just getting a little morning surf in. <laughs> but you're always <laughs> you know that's not legit. <laughs> right, but but is it but it's are you seeing it um, be responded to by the sponsors like the people that are supporting the athletes is it shifting or or is it has it not affected you and your friends? Um I think definitely throughout the last few years there've been brands that are like, "Oh, look, we we're going to just work with uh, this influencer and mm-hmm. you see them getting invited to um, endemic events or whatever. Or they're like all of a sudden rocking the same brand that you're rocking and you're like, wait a second. Like like I thought it took. I, you, but they're just posing and modeling and I'm like doing something in the mountains and trying to progress a sport. Taking so it's that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's... Uh, I think it's a hard pill to swallow, but a lot, for the most part, like, I'm pretty vocal about that whole scenario that's going down to my brands. Like, hey, if we're going to sponsor, if you guys are looking for other women, talk to me because I know who is killing it. And Mm. I want you guys to support these athletes who have um, so much drive and passion for the sport versus who are just there to look pretty. And I think... um, yeah, it's, there's there's like a blurred line right now between the whole influencer and then the athlete. Has it has it shifted the way you feel like you have to represent yourself? You know, like to... I've it, it's it's almost shifted me to thinking I need to get access to these images that I have and I need to get them on Instagram because like I'm not just a I'm not I'm out, not out there trying to model. I'm out there trying to ride really fun, creative stuff in the backcountry, and I think that needs to be showcased. And so trying to find, like, I just want to showcase um, athleticism over, you know, just, and I want to showcase having a purpose. And, yeah, it's just this, the whole influencer versus athlete debate, I think, is a pretty big um, thing right now considering there's a lot of brands that want to get their gear on these influencers that have a lot of following but they may not necessarily have the same purpose as an athlete and I think that's tough for me being a female athlete um, you know working my way up in the ranks of being a professional snowboarder I feel like it's because you know we're pushing the sport Mm -hmm. and when I see brands dole out money to Instagram influencers yes they have an influence to their crowd potentially it may be working for the the brands but it just pains me to see that because there's so many more deserving athletes and anytime a brand hits me up to ask me about other athletes I'm like hey wait a second before you decide to sponsor this influencer look at this person because like I just feel like it's so important to have role models who are actually focused and passionate about the sport right versus portraying an image yeah 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 i'm with you on that um 
and it's tougher than ever these days because a lot of people only see what they see on Instagram, right? Um, yeah. And assume that everything there is is honest and but you can project anything, any image you want. You can claim yourself to be anything. Um, and if you build up an image behind it, like why wouldn't people, you know, jump on board? So yeah. um, it's a it's an interesting time, and I wondered if it was uh, if it was you know it influencing your sport as well. Yeah, but I mean, like the true credible people in our sport, like for me, that's those are the people we all you girls and guys should be following. Like it's important to give those people love like these like for example the awesome kids have you heard of those no um, the, the awesome a, kids i love it already the awesome kids they're like six and ten years old skateboarder little girl skate female skateboarder she does rodeos outside the half pipe on her skateboard and then can like do kick flips on her surfboard like wow insane and it's awesome to see her social following grow because she's actually super credible mm-hmm. such a little ripper and these Six are the kinds ten. of the, yeah yeah i think she's probably i don't know she's super young so that means somebody else is putting her image on instagram for her her mom her yeah mom. her account is managed by her mom and wow. it's her and her little brother and they're just ripping and uh-huh. and those are the influences that are what kids need love just, it yeah right then again, I'm like, I don't even know if you want to give if that's too young, like to oh sponsorships to, like, oh, and six and ten. I mean, I'm seeing this more and more, right? Like TGR, like their hero right now is eleven. <laughs> I just like ran into him mountain biking. I'm like, you're eleven. Wow. And um, it's just a lot. So I, I I don't even know what my opinion is about like how young we should get these kids into really dangerous things. And and skateboarding is different than being in the big mountains. Um, yeah. But that's another con- that's another conversation that I don't I don't feel I don't know that I can have because I don't know. Um, but um, I know you're also into surfing, and I want to talk about surfing. I love <laughs> surfing, and um, yeah, and you guys just uh, built. You are building tiny homes, or you built one home, and you I, got this whole plan, and it's it's like you're living the dream. Well, <laughs> living the dream. Well, I I actually had a, a condo in Vancouver for the longest time, and. In the summers, I was like, man, I just wish I could get on the island. I'd go camping out there all the time. And You grew up going to the island, right? Like, um, no, because I grew up in Calgary. It was pretty oh, far from any ocean. I was definitely a landlocked kid. Mm-hmm. Did not know how to surf. Ocean was definitely pretty foreign to me. But when I moved to Whistler and, and met Jeff, um, he actually ended up surprising me with a surfboard and a wetsuit. After how long I came have you guys home. been together now? So long. Like, oh, it's really awesome. <laughs> We've it's been really together cool. um, probably for like 13 years. Wow. Yeah, maybe longer. But you haven't gotten married. We're engaged. You're engaged, but yeah. when did you get engaged? <laughs> Three years ago. <laughs> How rare is this? We have. We, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, no, he's awesome. And um, he proposed to me on the top of a mountain snowmobiling. It was so cute. I love it. And, yeah, it was really... So, yeah, I recently got engaged, and and everyone's like, well, when's the date? And it makes me feel better. And we're both like, isn't it a big enough deal to get engaged? Like, can (laughs) we just appreciate that? We don't know when. (laughs) Yeah. So what do you say when when people give you that? Or have they stopped asking? Um, 
people have stopped asking because Mm -hmm. they just know that Jeff and I are so slow with everything. (laughs) And we've just got both of us. He's an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. He runs a Dinosaurs Will Die snowboard company. Yeah, that's right. And he devotes every second that he has to that brand. And, And then, like... I think I've been just really busy with the filmmaking thing, plus being an athlete, and and then also these side projects of building houses and and whatever. We're we've got a lot on our plate. You you're building a house in Whistler too right now. Yeah, we. So Such I, a gangster. I ended up um, selling my condo in Vancouver. At the I just had this epiphany one day, and I was like, okay, I had gone to a Lululemon retreat, and it was all about you know, being in the present moment and this and that. And, and I was like, okay, I keep dreaming about all these things, but if I want to make this stuff happen, I just got to do it. The only like time what? frame I have is now. What was your, all these dreams? I wanted to be surfing every summer, like Annie and Marie. Mm-hmm. They take all their summers off all the time and, and surf. Mm-hmm. And I was living in Vancouver and I'm like, oh, I should really like try to figure out how to get out to the island, Euclid and Tofino, which is um, pretty close to Vancouver, six hours away. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I just, I think we need to like get out of the city and do this. And so ended up selling my condo and didn't have much of a plan, but we found land in Euclid. And, and this is the, the market's so hot in Vancouver. You probably crushed it. Yeah, I sold out a high for sure. And this is the only reason why I was able to um, do what I did. I found land close to Pemberton. And I also found land in Yuki. I was looking for a little cabin or something, never really found anything. But when we found this land, we were like, let's do it. And, And so I've had big dreams since then. It's been about three years of owning this land. And what I'm realizing is that I'm very glad that I decided to make that decision at that moment in time to sell my to go for it sell my place and do it because it takes a long time to build especially mm-hmm. on the island and go through the process so we've been going through two years of rezoning and my dream was to um, buy this land in Yuki it's an acre on the water and it's called the saltwater retreat it's got its own Instagram. I mean, I thought it, we would have this whole project done in, within like two years. Wow. <laughs> and, and there's still nothing on the land. Uh, we built uh, just a, a shed to put some surfboards in there. And But the plan is, is that it can it can have up to four 400 square foot cabins plus a house. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start with two 400 square foot cabins and kind of make it a little surf retreat. Love it. Yeah, that's the life dream. Such an entrepreneur, I love it. And then, um, yeah, in Whistler, just working on a prefabricated build, the, the cheapest, well, the most affordable option for us was to make like kind of a square house yeah. with, with a prefab um, company. And so far, so good. We have a roof on and we're getting to the point where we need to make choices and it's hard because I'm snowboarding and and trying to on my in my evenings try to pick finishings so but it's so fun it's such a dream to be able to do this and yeah, play in house yeah, your can, way yeah can't even <laughs> believe that this is reality but yeah so rad so rad so what's next you've got four films under your belt 
uh, I got houses and live in the surf dream. <laughs> well, to be honest, we've been living in our camper the last two years because we preemptively sold our condo, so we had no way to live. Yeah. And so, like in parking lots or what? Uh, no, <laughs> we were living in our camper on our land in Yuki. Okay. And so, what about in the winter? Um, we rented a place. Okay. In in Whistler. And Pemberton last year. So just kind of been jumping around. I'm actually looking forward to ground and have a place to call home. It's been a few years of that. But, um, yeah, this winter I just signed with the North Face. Oh, my gosh. Congrats. Oh, I actually saw that. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm really excited Jack about that. great on you. Oh, thank you. you. Good. That's and huge. That's huge. Yeah. And I'm really excited to join a company that is really focused on equality and they are they've added like a few women to their snowboard team so so how many are there um there's four that's huge because as professionals for the most of us we've we've felt like and I don't know if you can relate but like when a company has one female skier girl we're like oh well they already have their girl Mm -hmm. like it's sort of been the unwritten rule and to hear that um brands are adding more than just one to hear that four I mean that's yeah amazing so yeah how many male snowboard athletes do they pay I I'm not entirely sure but I think they're trying to make it pretty equal and I'm pretty excited to join this roster of athletes it's just so incredible with all the sports and mm-hmm. the connections and yeah, the opportunity so yeah it's really cool so coming up shortly is a project with um, Jake Blavelt and Victor Delarue, and I'm gonna be shredding with them in right. my favorite mountains. And you don't even have to produce it yourself. No, or do you? <laughs> no, they're you just get to be an athlete. The North Face is hooking it up. Oh, I'm so, so grateful. So I'm so looking forward to that. Cool. So well, we'll be watching for that. Anything else? Um, I would love to produce another film at some point include surfing maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> um but that's on the back burner until I get my house projects yeah. going on awesome yeah and uh shout out to your puppy too it's been rad to see yeah Bella Kula Bear <laughs> we named Bella Bella Kula because um well Bella Kula is where the mountains hit the ocean and I went on an amazing snowboard trip there with Annie for full moon and I was just so inspired by that area it was untouched beautiful land in Canada and I was like Bella needs to be named Bella Kula (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like symbolizes the the life that Jeff and I are building between the mountains and the ocean I love it um so the name of the podcast is showing up like what does showing up mean to you um showing up means to me um you know, I think, hmm, what is it? Let me think for, for a second. I think showing up is just being a part of a community and having a purpose and living it up with your community and enjoying life. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. And then what advice would you give to yourself at a time when she really needed it? Like looking back, like what would you have said? Um, I think looking back, I would give myself more confidence just to have the power to to make decisions for myself and just to go for it and don't worry about anything because everything works out but Mm. 
just, yeah. Awesome. Just have that confidence. Beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much. And shred tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you for listening, friends. If you enjoyed this conversation, give us a review on iTunes, spread the word, and be sure to subscribe. We've also set up a Patreon account where you can become a sustaining patron of the show and help us continue to share these conversations. If you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash showing up. It really supports the show. We also have a few spots left for our unicorn school in Alaska. If you're interested, hit us up on Unicorn Picnic on Instagram. Until next time, see you in the mountains, unicorns.